0: It's Radio, 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now,
1: here's Terry. All right, we're back. Let's go to the phones. And joining us, the aforementioned Nate Zelensky. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry.
2: You know, you got 14 hours left of being a nice guy, and we're going to complete the year. Without any hard times, and I'm pretty excited about it. Just want to give you the warning, so don't ruin.
1: I was just going to say the same thing. We made it through the year, and I've been nice to you the whole year. I don't. I'm going to have to make some kind of a New Year's resolution about that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before we get awesome. into uh, everybody, of course, is curious about what's going on in the front range and a lot of your upcoming stuff and the mountains. But just want to let you know that um, Andy Cochran was on earlier and. He is excited about where your course is laid out for Blue Mesa this year. He thinks it's going to be one of the highest catch rate tournaments you've ever had. I I agree, Terry. You know, it's one of those
2: things that the first ice fiction is coming up in two weeks. We kind of coincide with the amazing ISE show. Uh, So there's a lot happening that weekend, but where we're at at Blue Mesa, we're going to be at Elk Creek Marina and, Again, we've had this conversation where we understand that we need snow, we need water. But at the end of the day, if you are just fishing and all you care about is fishing, low water is very helpful uh, to fishing in a lot of situations. And where we're at with Blue Mesa right now, with the low water, it puts our course on some unbelievable fishing. We're at a funnel point, so literally we're going to have rainbows, browns. We're going to have numbers of lake trout. We're going to have big lake trout. We're going to have kokanee in the area. There's a couple of little uh, little flats that are holding some perch. So we literally are in the epic of all worlds where that event is going to be this year, how it's set up and how it's playing out. So we're really excited for that first event coming up here in two weeks.
1: All right. We will get more information on how people can take part in that. But let's find out what's going on. You know, We got this cold weather on the front range. It got a little warm and a little sloppy on top of the Ice held up in most places. I was out a couple places, and the ice held up, but I wasn't down in the metro area. But it's going to get cold again. We got some snow on the ice. How is all that going to come together over the next week or two?
2: Terry, everything is fantastic, honestly. You know, before that big snowstorm hit Denver the other day, we had some rain for a couple hours, and we were all very scared. But right before the snow started falling, the temperatures dropped. It pretty much iced up that rain. So there's not a lot of moisture in between the snow and the ice. Uh, then we had snow on top. And honestly, as we have these, you know, little days that are that 40, 45 degree type thing, having snow on the ice is a helper because it insulates it. So we built a quick, you know, five, six inches, uh, on most of all the whole front range, everything from Boyd down to, you know, Chatfield, Cherry Creek, uh, even Aurora is ice now. Um, so we built good ice in that extreme cold, and then that snow is just insulating it. So, like Chatfield right now, hundred percent ice. You know, which we we rarely get a hundred percent ice, let alone still in December. Um, so Chatfield's a hundred percent ice, the whole lake. Uh, you know, as long as you're using caution, is fishable. Um, it, the ice is in good shape, Terry. And honestly, a lot of that snow kind of melted uh, and shrunk down, but it's been refreezing, so it turned our six inches of ice um it added several more inches of kind of that kind of sloppy ice on top we really don't want to consider it ice but at the end of the day it it helps things out so we're in good shape and fishing is
1: fantastic well take us through some of the uh some of the what you're seeing a walleye trout any particular presentations Definitely, Kerry. So, I mean,
2: let's just kind of start on, on the two fisheries that I've been hitting the most on the front range. Uh, we have Cherry Creek and Chatfield. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm spending a lot more time at Chatfield just with the current bite, the current population and what's happening there. But we'll start at Cherry Creek. So Cherry Creek's fishing good. Um, honestly, Kerry, we're seeing walleyes on all of the structure. So whether you're in front of the tower, you're over by the Sunken Island and the marina on all those roadbeds and humps, Uh, You're off of Lake Loop Point uh, on that roadbed, which also sits on top of a point. If you are on contour to where you have a fairly significant fall dropping off and you're sitting on that top edge at low-light periods of the day, early and late, you're going to have walleyes coming through. Um, And we're catching them on quite a few things. We're catching them on some blade baits. Uh, we're catching them on spoons. But at Cherry Creek, uh, I would say hands down, I would be going out there with some sort of glide bait, like a, a jigging wrap, a tikka minnow, um, one of those style baits. Um, you know, we're running everything from like size fives to sevens. Uh, I caught a few fish on nines, but I would say that smaller size, that five and that seven, are doing best. Um, in the low light, we're doing really well on kind of your brighter color. So, uh, your oranges, your golds, even your pinks. Um, and then once that sun comes up or it's a little lighter, depending on if you're early or late in the day, uh, once it starts getting a little more lighter out, um, we're going into more metallic colors. Um, so that's when those are kind of coming in. So shine, you know, gold blues, um, and, and those type colors. And that's been that bite. Um, we have been tipping these baits with a minnow head. I don't necessarily know if it's. Necessary, carry, but it definitely makes the fish hold on to it a little longer. Tour, so and I'm out there with no minnow head. I am still getting bites. I'm still getting interest. But with the minnow head, they definitely take the bait faster than without. And if I miss them, they seem to come back with the minnow head. That's where they don't come back. Without the minnow head, so tipping those those jigging wraps and picking minnows with a minnow head uh, has been helpful to help us catch some more fish at that fishery. Um, and then we're also starting to see some panfish at Cherry Creek. If you are an angler that knows where some of the submerged trees are, um, you know people try to overlook the fact that Cherry Creek has. You know, a couple acres of trees in various pods um, under the water out there. And if you know where some of these little groups and pods of trees are, there's some incredible fishing right there. And we're seeing crappies, we're seeing bluegill and perch around those trees. Uh, really small jigs tipped with a waxworm uh, or really small live minnows, like a small fathead minnow under a bobber um, is catching all those panfish around those trees. So
1: that's a pretty awesome bite that's happening at Cherry Creek as well. They jump yeah, the on the sand field. Yep, I would say the panfish get overlooked on the front range. And we talk about the walleyes and the trout, which most people are chasing on the front range for one reason or another. But there's some, I've had some spectacular crappie fishing at, at Cherry Creek at times.
2: And there's some big fish out there. And you know, I think a lot of people catch them by accident, you know, when they're walleye fishing or, or doing something else. But no, if you target them, especially if you find those right areas, they're condensed right now, Terry. At the winter, it's nice thing for panfish because they are grouped up more so than in summer when they spread. So right now... Uh, I mean, get out there. You're going to either not catch any or you're going to catch a pile of them. So we encourage us go find those trees um, and do that. And the nice thing is the other day they were all mixed. Our crappies, our bluegills, and our perch were all together. Um, so once you found one, we, you found a lot of them. The, the panfish, the more the bluegills and the crappie were a little bit up in the trees is where the perch were more on the bottom. Uh, but regardless, once you found that, that group of that good vegetation, there was a lot of fish in it. So you can, you can have a, a great day of a lot of numbers.
1: Well, another thing with Cherry Creek, I used to live close by and I fished it quite a bit. And there were times when you knew the panfish were out there, but the ice wasn't to where you could get to those areas. Having good ice in those areas you're talking about isn't always the case. So that's a great opportunity. What about Chatfield? Chatfield, it just continues to amazing. We keep talking about 2022 being such an epic year of fishing,
2: and Chatfield is continuing to live up to it. A low bait fish year, perfect water level. Um, those walleyes are absolutely going strong. Um, and it's nice for a, a typical walleye fishery is low light. You know, you get that bite that starts, you know, around 5 a.m. And then usually by seven thirty-eight, it is done for the day. Um, I would say Chatfield is following those rules of definitely the peak bite being that early couple hours, five a.m. to you know eight a.m., seven thirty a.m. But we're catching walleyes all day long as long as you're willing to kind of move around a little bit, stay with the fish. Um, so on I mean, we're catching walleyes at eleven, noon, one p.m. Um, so that bite is just absolutely on. Um, catching them on a variety of techniques. Um, uh, Generally, I would say the last three to four years, our live bait bite at Chatfield has been slower, using a shiner, using a fathead minnow. That traditional like, minnow under a bobber or under a dead stick has not been as productive in the last couple years as normal. Um, and in the last week or two, that dead stick bite has been phenomenal. So where you're going to go out, find your piece of structure, fish the top of the structure, um, and you can put down a live minnow and you are going to catch walleyes. Um, when it comes to your jigging techniques, the other day, I cut them on rattle baits, blade baits, jigging wraps, spoons. If I could only pick one, uh, like we mentioned the other day on the show, we're doing really well with spoons. That's where a traditional year at Chatfield, I rarely put a spoon down there, even if I have spoons with me. Um, and this year, the spoons are doing very well. Um, we're really looking for a wide-body So a really wide, fluttery-type spoon. So we're running a lot of summer-style spoons, whether it's a a Little Clio, a Thomas Boynt. I'm using a Flashy Time spoon by Bass Pro. Uh, But we're running a really wide-bodied, almost casting spoon for open water. And it's really giving that bait a real slow flutter down, uh, and those walleyes are all over it. You can run the bait as is, or you can tip them with a minnow head, kind of like we mentioned at Cherry Creek. Um, again, same type thing. The minnowhead definitely makes them bite the bait faster, and you don't have to sit there and have a, a flawless cadence on your stroke. Um, and if you miss the bait without the minnowhead, they tend to leave. If you leave that minnowhead on there or tip it with a head, those fish seem to come back, and you can miss them three, four times. Um, and we're starting our fish on the bottom. So we're jigging on the bottom, pounding bottom. Once the fish come in, If they don't take the bait immediately, we are definitely pulling them up in the water column just to create a reaction bite. We're taking the bait away from them, and we're getting a lot of our bites doing that. Um, We're only taking the bait away, however, on our active presentation. We're leaving our live minnow four to six inches off bottom and keeping it there. Uh, But our jigging, we're starting it on bottom, and then we just kind of work it all over the water column until we get that independent fish to take the bait.
1: Sounds like an awesome time to be out and we're going to have pretty reasonable weather the next week or so. Might get a little snow, but we're going to have good temperatures for ice fishing. What about the mountains?
2: Yeah, you know, Terry, the mountains are still doing very well. Obviously, we're getting ice everywhere now, which is nice, so now we're spreading out the anglers. Uh, you know, your your lakes that freeze early. Your internal is 11 miles. Uh, I don't want to say in a bad way, but they took a beating with a lot of anglers and a lot of fishing pressure just because it was early ice. You know, your, your Grambys, your Williams Fork, a lot of your bigger bodies, Blue Mesa, didn't have ice early, so a lot of the certain bodies of water took a lot of pressure. Now that the angling pressure is spreading out, uh, it seems like the fishing is coming back pretty strong. The biggest thing I'd say at the mountains, especially the ones that were fishing a lot, Antero 11-mile, is spread out. If you go to an area that has been getting hit hard, move around. If you can find fresh ice and fresh fish, I would say that's the difference of catching you know, you're your six fish to a dozen fish and catching your 20 to 30 fish. So we are having far better success on numbers and size of fish as we're finding kind of fresh fish. So move around quite a bit. Um, and we're seeing them on all kinds of presentations. We're doing reaction bait, big rattle bait, and That's probably my number one go to, especially at 11 mile right now. But we're also doing a lot of dead sticking with wax worms and meal worms. Um, and that's catching a lot of fish. So biggest trick to the mountains find fresh ice, fresh fish, and you're going to catch a lot of fish.
1: All right, now let's talk about your upcoming event. You have I I heard you have a little get together on the ice coming up in a couple of weeks, and 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 you're you're hoping that three or four people will show up. Tell me about it. That's it. That's it. We're we're so excited, Terry.
2: Blue Mesa is one of our favorite venues. I don't know what it is if it's just the the Gunnison group or how it is, but the the attitude at the Blue Mesa tournament is almost second to none the energy that is there the the fun that is had it is just all smiles and energy at that venue for whatever reason and it's a great town to host in you know all the hotels are, are helping out giving anglers deals you know there's great restaurants um and obviously i think anytime we go to a place that has the availability of a big fish you know some of the venues that we host these tournaments in you know it's going to be a two or three pound fish that wins the tournament at blue mesa Literally in the matter of a second, you could get that one bite. Um, that could be a a fish that could, you know, be a a world class fish and a trophy in its own, let alone the fact that it could be worth $7,500. So Mitch Bevins of Journey Real Estate, uh, the title sponsor of that event, he's bringing $7,500 cash to Blue Mesa. And I have to say, we've been fielding a lot of questions. Um, over the years you have tournaments that kind of talk about a big prize with no intent to give it out. You know, you have to catch a tagged fish or a limit of fish or, you know, some sort of, you know, hoop that you have to jump through at ice addiction. We are paying out that $7,500 cash. It is happening 100% on the heaviest single fish regardless of species is going home with that seven thousand five hundred dollar cash prize doesn't matter what species it's just the heaviest single fish we're paying out our top 30 spots we're a little over twenty six thousand dollars in cash and prizes uh we got free coffee donuts hot chocolate again um it is going to be just an absolute great time uh there at blue mason gunnison again that event is coming up on january 14th we encourage everybody grab your tickets. Uh, if you want to have a good time ice fishing, come up there, check these events out. It's going to be a good time. We'll even loan you a rod and reel, never ice fish before. So it's the place to be for sure.
1: All right, my friend, we're out of time. If people want more information, where do they go? Go to
2: our website, tightlineofdoors.com. We're guiding trips daily. We got it. our events coming up. Uh, yeah, so Titan Outdoors on Facebook, Titan Outdoors on the web. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to talk to you.
1: All right, you have a happy and, <clears throat> excuse me, safe New Year, and we will talk to you in 2023. We'll talk to you soon, Terry. Thank you. You bet. Nate Zelensky, always a great resource. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. The folks from Jacks are going to join us, and they've been out fishing on the front range. We're going to share some techniques, and maybe let you know if the ice fishing equipment's available. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jacks Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. listening to terry wixom outdoors presented in part by jack's outdoor gear and speaking of jack's let's go to the phone and joining us from the loveland west store is trent budish good morning trent
3: morning terry thanks for having me back
1: well thanks for coming on it's uh i know you've been out doing some ice fishing i want to kind of talk about that a little bit then i want to talk about uh some of the ice fishing gear you have at jack's and a few of the opportunities but first of all i think you're um you know, we talk about Jack's all the time. And have three, you have really three kinds of stores. Well, you have two. You have your outdoor gear stores and your farm and ranch, but then you have combination stores like the one you work at. You're at the Loveland West store, which is the kind of the one by the Wilson as you're going out of town there uh, to the west. And the amount of goods and the different variety you carry in those combination stores is just ridiculous, Trent. You can find just about anything there.
3: Oh, absolutely. The amount of stuff that we have is kind of baffling even to, uh, even to the folks that work there. So you were out ice fishing. Tell us, you had some success. Where did you go and what kind of techniques did you use? You know, first place I broke ice this season was going to be Westlake up in Red Feather and, uh, you know, to be expected, bite was a little bit slow for the first uh, few hours and, uh, I ended up getting into some pretty decent-sized stalker browns up there. Um, you know they, uh, They're doing a false spawn, so they're pretty close to the bottom. And as usual, my go-to is always going to be those bubblegum pink UV jig heads with a white tail and uh, some of that chartreuse stick-on power bait. And that seemed to work pretty well. And,
1: and how deep water were you catching them
3: in? Oh, I want to say I was sitting probably 20, 25 feet or so. And were you catching rainbows and browns at the same time, or were they mostly browns?
1: Oh, it was exclusively browns. So I think the rainbows are a little shallower up there at this time of the year. I was up at Dowdy, and I was in about six feet of water. I didn't catch any browns, but I caught a lot of rainbows. And I just used well, I used a simple jig and a waxworm, or I used uh, some gulp. You know, you guys carry the little jars of gulp, and those little gulp products that come in those jars on a jig head can be just phenomenal
3: oh absolutely those gulp lives are fantastic to use especially when you can't use live bait yeah in fact i take
1: those keep them in my, my tackle box all the time and then i don't always have to worry about bait but by the
3: way speaking of bait you guys carry bait at jacks don't you oh absolutely we actually just got our um, minnow delivery in about two days ago or so, and uh, we're all freshly stocked on that. But we've got worms, wax worms, mealworms, and as much power bait as you can as you can handle. Yeah, and you know minnows, you Now you can't use minnows above seven thousand feet, but
1: boy, I tell you what, the reports we've been getting from up and down the front range is that that minnow bite is really working both for walleyes and for panfish. And people are always asking me, where can you get minnows? Do most of the jack stores carry minnows?
3: Uh, To my knowledge, I believe so. Um, I know for sure our store and our east store in Loveland as well usually has them in stock.
1: Okay. Um, You went on another trip too. You said you went out to Smith Lake in Wellington. I haven't really
3: fished that lake. Tell me about it. So gone down with my brother, um and you know, it limited out within the first, you know, couple hours or so. Uh mostly rainbows pulling through. On average they were about, you know, ten to twelve, thirteen inches. Um pretty decent sized fish, pretty good fighting and using the same setup as uh as we were up at uh Westlake, you know, that bubblegum pink with chartreuse power bait and the uh and the jigtail. They're fishing about 15 feet of water or so, and they're fighting pretty good. Where is Smith Lake located? A lot of people don't know. You know, my brother drove me up there, but uh, we were sitting a little bit northwest of Terry Lake, so a little bit closer to the foothills, um, just north of Fort Collins. Okay, that's sure
1: you can find it on a map. You know, that has bass and pike in it too. would be interesting to see if you can get those pike to go through the ice. I've never fished it. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about gear. You know, last year uh, it was difficult to get shipments of ice fishing or any fishing gear. Everybody was struggling with COVID, the manufacturers were having trouble delivering. What's the status now? Are you guys pretty well stocked with ice fishing gear?
3: Oh, absolutely. You know, there's still a few things that we're kind of short on, still have a hard time getting some of the clothing in, things like that. Um, But when it comes down to, you know, rods, Eskimo ice houses, jigs, um, like the buckshot spoons, things like that, we are pretty well stocked um, as opposed to the past few years. You got a pretty good selection of uh, augers. Uh, You know, we've got probably four or five different options, everything from hand augers and pistol bits all the way up to some of the newer gas and even the electric uh, battery-powered augers as well. Yeah, those battery-powered
1: augers are really taking off, and and, uh, they're just good. There's a product you were talking to me earlier about that you guys have got in for ice fishing called the tickle stick rods. Tell me about
3: those. So, the Tickle Sticks are made by 13 Fishing, and they're a little bit different than I've ever seen. I've always fished with their traditional, um, you know, spin-style ice rods, and these guys are different. Um, you go about six inches past where the reel's mounted, and everything becomes flat, and that's supposed to help with your hook set angles, and I'll tell you, I, I don't think I'll ever switch back. The sensitivity and the action of this rod is fantastic.
1: Now, do they come in different uh, actions, different, you know, weights or
3: sizes? Uh, they do come in some different sizes. Um, I have sort of a, the, the light, fast action one for the trout and everything, uh, and we do also carry a little bit longer and heavier one that I suppose you could probably use for some lakers or some Kokanee. What What's the price range on the tickle stick? Those guys are coming in at around fifty dollars. Okay, and then you can put just a, a normal spinning reel on it. A normal spinning reel, or me, I went out for the full upgrade and I got a uh, Black Betty Free Fall reel in the Atomic Pickle color, and it the combination works perfectly. All right, and some people can come
1: in and you can help them. Well, you're usually in the camp, the uh, hunting and fishing section at that store but most of the jacks would probably would probably have these so are
3: you running any after christmas specials before i let you go um you know as far as i know our last couple of specials are ending today but definitely be look for looking forward in the future i know we usually run some stuff around towards the end of the uh, ice season so even if you miss out this time Definitely get stocked up and get ready for the next year because the, the fishing never truly ends. You're just getting ready for the next go-around. All right, Trent, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Of course, thanks for having me, Terry. You bet. That's Trent Trent Budish from Jack's Outdoors. You know what? Trent just talked to us about a new ice fishing rod that he really loves, and uh, we're going to give away some ISE tickets. So the first person... To text Karen on the fan text line, what new ice fishing rod is Trent fishing with that he really loves the name of that rod to three o three seven one three one oh four three and when uh when you the first one to answer that we 're going to give you two tickets to the international sportsman 's Expo, which starts in uh just less than a week and a half uh the 12th of January, and we'll be out there, and Karen and I are looking forward to it. So anyway, give Karen a text at 303-713-1043. And the first one to tell me the rod that Trent really loves to ice fish with gets two tickets to the ISE show. We're going to take a quick time out, and we come back. Chad LaChance will join us, and later on, Dan Jacobs is going to be on, we might even talk some Broncos at the end of the show. All that coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're just a tear in my eyes. Each night I cry myself to sleep. You're just a memory of a love I somehow couldn't keep. Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. And we were playing, playing Chad chances favorite Wickstrom and Dover song as we came into his, his segment. Is that right, Chad? Yeah, yes, sir. I requested that from the board op. Okay. <laughs> hey, before we get to talking about what we're going to talk about, I want to let people know we got an answer for the ISE tickets. The rod was a tickle stick. We had tickle stick, tickle rod, tickle tickle rods but it was tickle stick and we do have a winner on that but we're good we got two more weekends we're going to give away a lot of ISe tickets yet so make sure you tune in over the next two weekends and mr lachance i know we're going to talk about ISe, but people on the fan text line are all excited about your cottontail recipe tell me about that <laughs> Well, you know, it's that time of year,
4: Terry, where, um, you know, guys got to eat, as you know, and small game hunting is kind of king right now. The big inches are wrapped up and, or for the most part anyway. And, uh, so now we're looking for, uh, maybe the other white meat, so to speak. And so I've been out doing a little cottontail rabbit hunting and, uh, if, you have, if people haven't had cottontail, it is absolutely delicious. And if I took the bones out of it and served it, most people would think it was very close to white meat chicken or, or maybe even dark meat a little bit, maybe close to a white meat turkey. But it is absolutely delicious, you know, free-range, organic, sustainable, all the good things, and easy to harvest and very, very easy to prepare. No harder to cook than a chicken for sure and uh, just absolutely delicious, and I just think they're a good option. that's overlooked for a lot of people. They occur all over the state, and uh, they're even pretty good for you.
1: You know, if you probably could harvest them with a landing net in my yard, the way they run around my neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
4: um, I choose the small caliber rifle, but uh, I don't like, you know, guys can hunt them a lot of ways, jokes aside. You can hunt them with shotguns. Uh, and flush them and shoot them, and you can do that. And uh, I like to prefer to hunt them when they're sitting still, so I don't do any meat damage. So I hunt them with a 22, and um, and you just end up with no, no damaged meat. So if people look, I actually posted something, I tagged you in it a couple of pictures about this. That means absolutely perfect meat. There's no damage to the meat at all, uh, no bruising, anything like that and nice, very, very light pink meat. And, and last night, the ones I cooked, I shot yesterday and cooked last night, where uh, I did it basically Marsala style with some Marsala wine and cream and uh, mushroom sautéed mushrooms, and then served it over cow rose rice. And I'll tell you what, man, it's absolutely delicious. And uh, I actually thought about you because wine would have gone. I didn't have wine in the house, Terry. It's a, it's a sin, but I didn't have any wine in the house to have with it.
1: Yeah, That would be, What well, with the Marsala, you could Pair a number of wines too. The sauce is more important than the meat on that. So, if people want your recipe, where do they go look for it? Well, I will post that here momentarily, then, because I wasn't really thinking about the full recipe so much
4: as just the concept of it. But I will go ahead and write it out, post it here in like a half an hour on the Fishbowl Thinker Facebook page, and uh, and people can look at it. But it was a very simple, you know, brown them, just build this, you know. Did mushrooms behind it, and then the sauce, and put the rabbit in it to braise, and and uh, went from there. And it's it's so simple, but you. I also made some the other day because they're prolific. You can shoot a bunch of them. Uh, I also shot some the other day and did those up just like fried chicken, and soaked them in uh, in buttermilk and and uh, Frank's Red Hot. Oh, for like twenty four hours. Took them out and just gave them a quick, just exactly like I do my fried chicken breading, and uh, fried them off that way, and really, really delicious there. Uh, as well. And you can plan on basically probably three quarters of a rabbit per person to one rabbit per person. Uh, maybe not quite that much, maybe half a rabbit, depending on where you're getting them and how plump they are. I've been going out in the Eastern Plains to get them, uh, because there's just tons of them around any, any of the state wildlife areas have lots and lots of rabbits. And I encourage people this time of year to hunt around the field edges uh, of the cut crops where you can, because the rabbits just like everybody else are on, on carbohydrates right now. And, uh, and that's what they want. So when you get this snow, you can track them very easily, which is how I got the ones I got yesterday. I just tracked them in the snow, and then you'll find where they're sitting and, uh, and go from there. Uh, weather gets inclement, then hunt the shelter belts, hunt the cedars and things like that, and when the weather's nice, they'll be out on the edges of the fields uh, sitting out soaking up some sun, and uh, like I said, they're delicious.
1: Well, you know, and a good tip, too, is the walk-in access that people hunt pheasants at is for all small game, and a lot of those walk-in access have habitat that would be conducive to rabbit hunting, so you can get some easy access without having to even go on private land.
4: Oh, for sure. There's tons and tons of it. I mean, really, even right near my house, we've got a fair number of rabbits, I live adjacent to Lori State Park, and there's a fair number of rabbits around here this year, which is a little strange, because as an animal guy as a you know an ecology kind of educated guy we have more foxes than i've ever seen but i also have more rabbits than i've ever seen so not sure how that works but uh but there's plenty of rabbits
1: around Well, send a few of those fox over to my neighborhood we used to have them and i think ours got mange and they went away and haven't come back and uh uh, the rabbits are coming on thick and they're not helping my lawn, so any help I can get would be appreciated. <laughs> hey, let's talk about the International Sportsman's Exposition. You and I are both going to be there. It's coming up in less than two weeks. It starts on the 12th. Uh, tell me, what are you going to be doing there and what kind of things can people expect from you there? Well, I'm going to be beating
4: a drum that I've been beating since the start of my career and uh, and it's something that just doesn't seem to change and I keep keep doing it. So one of the things I'm going to uh presentations i'm going to do is called casting for accuracy and it's going to be a whole rundown on how to be a more accurate caster and couple that a little bit with some line control and i'm I'm still after after 20 years of doing this i still believe that people would catch more fish if they had better presentation skills better accuracy and better line control skills more than secret lures and so every year I do a presentation along those lines. So I'm going to do that one again. Uh, I, I revise it. I change it every time, but I'm going to do a presentation about, about casting accuracy. And that will be on the pond. So I'll have a, a uh, on the casting pond. So I'll have a rod and be able to actually demonstrate what's going on. And I'll probably be encouraging people to step up and try it while I'm there as well. And then another one I'm going to do, <clears throat> excuse me, it's called uh, New Water, Breaking It Down Fast and as you know, as a traveling fisherman and filming, we go to places I've never been most of the time. Uh, we film for a day and we go home. And I know you can relate to that. So I've had uh, 20 years worth of experience of going to places I don't know anything about and breaking it down as fast as possible. And when you're filming or when you're fishing tournaments, anything like that, you're on the clock. And that's a little different situation than what most people realize. And so I've developed a lot of systems for being very quick about how to make contact with the fish and uh and then building a the pattern out for the day and that will it will not be specific to any one species it will be specific to breaking down new water in a hurry and how i do it and so that'll be another one that i do and then the last one i'll be on the experts corner and that will be about trip planning and we've done 240 some tv shows that's a lot of fishing trips and uh and so we're, I'm gonna be sitting there available for planning details for people that are curious about how we plan trips or pitfalls we run into or things that we've learned to do to make our our trips more consistently successful and simple, uh, things like that. So, uh, just nuances of of how to go ahead and plan a fishing trip somewhere. Maybe you haven't been before. So a little bit of diversity there between uh, all of those things and really looking forward to just talking with everybody, you know, walking the show floor. I tell people, if you see me there, please grab me and say hi, because that's what
1: we're there for. Oh, absolutely. I want to go back to your casting accuracy. Um, and I think people, unless you've been involved in maybe a higher level of fishing, like tournaments or something, don't understand. Or if you've shared the boat with an expert angler, and you know that I love to go back to Minnesota and I do a lot of bass fishing. And I go out there with Greg Closio and a couple other guys, and these are some of the best fishermen in the world. And as you found out, some of the best bass water in the world. Absolutely. Um, my, my favorite way to fish them now... A couple of the guys I fish with with up there really love fishing the outside weed edge, and you know that can be productive. I like trying to look for that big lunker that's hiding back in that mess. And usually you have just a small hole in the weeds. You can't even get the boat back there. So it's more than flipping, but you have to be able to pitch or even cast a regular cast and get a lure out that maybe falls in a hole the size of a dinner plate, and it makes all the difference in the world. People would just be amazed if they spent a day on the boat with us when we're doing that. And um, sometimes we only produce a few bites, but they're the biggest bass in the lake sometimes. And it, it, it's just critical to put that in exactly the right spot. Well, yeah, absolutely. And,
4: you know, what I notice as a fishing guide, and I've been a fishing guide for more than 20 years, and what I see, I get a guy, and we're working, let's say we're working down a bank looking for walleyes at a mud line. Well, if the mud line is only three feet wide and your lures are landing four feet from the bank, you miss. You don't catch them. And so when I hand the guy a rod and tell him to throw them up near the bank, I want to see those, those lures landing. Within inches or maybe a foot of the actual edge of the water, and the average guy—and I'm not knocking people—but the average guy getting my boat is lucky to keep them within five feet of the bank every time. And what I also tell people is, casting accuracy will save you a ton of money because you don't throw your stuff in trees, you don't throw your lures up on the bank and break them if you hit the rocks. So you're fishing the damn face, and you hit the rocks, you break your lures. Uh, you know, and throwing them trees and snags. It all comes down to casting accuracy and line control. If I have better line control, I don't snag so much. Uh, if I have better accuracy, I don't snag so much. And time you put all that together, it'll save you money on the end of the season. Plus get you more fish. So, for me, it's, it's a day one thing, and I had to teach a new angler for the last year, and I' not let that person I did not let that person make a single cast for actual, with an actual lure until they could make casts consistently and, and handle the bale how I wanted and everything else. And then I give them a lure because I'm like, "I don't want you thinking about catching fish. I want you to think about the mechanics of how you're going to present this once we get to that step. And it made a giant difference in the learning curve.
1: Well, another thing too is when you're learning to cast, whether it's spinning rods or bait casting rods, uh it there's a you know, everybody starts by they start probably learning with a little push button rod, they wave the rod over their head and that's great for distance casting, but it's not great for control necessarily. You get a high arcing lure that's up in the air that it's the trajectory is a little off. You need to learn, it's kinda like they talk about quarterbacks that learn to drop that shoulder down and throw from the side or almost underhand it and learning to use a rod underhand and a flipping pitching, whether it's spinning or bait casting or dropping that arm down on the side. So you get a lower trajectory in the wind or under the bushes can be just, it can be just critical to your success.
4: Well, yeah, and the wind is a key one right there because, you know, obviously we, we get a fair bit of wind here in the West, and I don't care if you're fishing wide open water and not trying to hit anything. If you make big arcing casts, that wind is going to blow a big bow in your line, and you're out of control of your lure again. So uh, again, you know, like you said, they're keeping the low, fast trajectory is a better call in that situation in the breeze even if you're not trying to hit anything just trying to get the bait out there and keep control and that goes down to the line control and then running the bail how you know running the bail manually i don't want to get too many details on here because i know it's a radio gig but running the bail manually being in control of the line all the time is is all i mean it just makes all the difference in tangling It makes a difference in losing lures and and after 20 plus years of guiding people and seeing where the most fundamental struggles that people have is with the casting accuracy and line control and management of the line. More than anything else, guys can make good decisions and everything else. But when, if you don't have the mechanics, it doesn't matter how good your decision making is or anything else. And you're going to lose more lures. It's just all there is to it. So um, it's just a a fundamental thing that I feel like that if more people focused on it instead of a magic pill or a magic lure kind of thing, uh, they would for sure catch more fish. And I don't care if you're river fishing or walleye fishing or, you know, anything
1: sort of ice fishing It probably uh, line control probably still even counts in ice fishing. Yeah. One of the biggest line control issues I see when I fish with people who are just recreational anglers is they take a spinning rod, they cast it out. When the lure hits the water, their bale is still open. Their fingers are not controlling the line. And they pull the rod back like they're trying to pull some additional line off of it. And then they move it back forward and close the bale and start reeling with that slack line. And you just invariably get more twists and turns and loops in your reel. Oh, without question. I, there's a reason that I keep my own rods. When, I,
4: when I'm guiding, I keep my own spinning rod in the deck to, to do everything with, to, to demonstrate. I don't fish on guide trips. But to demonstrate things with. I keep one on the deck. And the reason I do it with my own is that because I can leave a fish with that rod all summer and be no problem. It's not tangle it or anything else. And then as soon as I hand it to somebody Within a second or two, most of the time, they're going to do what you said and leave the unattended bail open, and they're going to get a loose wrap, and that's what causes all the problems. So when a guy used to come in and ask me, hey, I need a spinning reel that that doesn't twist your line. Well, I hate to break it to you, but the dynamics of the spinning reel are going to twist your line. I don't care what kind of bearing it is or how much it costs. However, if you control the slack, that line twist will not cause you as much problem. And in these days, with the really light braids that a lot of us fish with, that stuff will blow around like crazy as well and uh, and cause you even more problems from there. So, yeah, mind control and accuracy, it's just all, it goes hand in hand. And, and uh, it's the most important aspect of presenting, particularly artificial baits, as far as I'm concerned, it's the most important aspects. And that's why I try to harp on it so much year in
1: and year out. All right, my friend, we are out of time. You have a safe and happy New Year's Eve and a great New Year, and I will see you at uh, the ISE show in less than two weeks. All right. Thanks very much, Terry, and happy New Year's to everybody out there, and, uh, including you and Karen, and, uh, yeah, we'll see you next year. All right, and get that cottontail recipe up. People are asking for it. Oh, i right. do it right now. <laughs> All right, thanks. Hey, thank chance. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. We'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wichstum Doors on 104.3 The Fan. So we're going to end, uh, end the show with some really upbeat show tap and music here. You're listening to Terry Wichstum Doors on 104.3 The Fan. A couple things I want to make sure we mention got some good ice in the front range, but it's got some snow on it. Use extreme caution, but if you wanted to try some ice fishing in some relatively warm and comfortable temperatures, uh, great time to get out up and down the front range. They're catching fish. Most places are producing trout, some panfish, and a few of the better lakes are have some great walleye bites going on. So get out and take advantage. If you have time, you're an avid angler, the mountain stuff is really taking off. The Blue Mesas and Granby's right around the corner. So get up and take advantage of that. Go to the Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom on YouTube. And we have a lot of ice fishing on there. And a lot of that was filmed right here. We've got like Red Feathers and North Michigan and Lake John and Chatfield and a number of places up and down the Front Range. And a lot of good techniques that you can learn and take out without having to spend a ton of money and go catch some fish. So go and pay attention and listen to some of those Um it's New Year's Eve. Everybody who goes out today, have a great time. Don't drink and drive. Um, there's going to be a lot of people that want to share outdoor experiences with you, that want to go fishing with you, that want to go hunting with you. They need you around. So be, be thoughtful. Don't be afraid to have fun. Just be careful. There's Uber. There's free rides. There's buses. There's lots of ways to get home. So make sure you do that. Uh, follow us on Facebook, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wick- I mean uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. A lot of what we do on this show is on that Facebook page. We repeat a lot of the podcasts. We tell you what's coming up, and uh, don't forget about our new uh, music single. The music lives forever. Go search Wickstrom and Dobreth and give a listen to our new single. We want to hear what you think about it. Now, is Dan Jacobs in the studio? I'm with, waiting with bated breath, sir baited that almost fits in with the show huh yes (laughs) Does that mean you keep your worms in your mouth i don't know what i've never been able to quite understand that thing
0: yeah well uh by the way good tips on the minnow heads uh what does that mean by the way the minnow head he was talking about the minnow head gets the fish more interested and, and holds on longer do you actually chop the head off a minnow or is that like a product you
1: actually just squeeze it off with your fingers because if you use the whole minnow it kills the action of the lure Oh, you know, just enough. Just enough there that it's got the scent. It's got part of the uh, of the creature on there that they identify. They see the eyes and stuff. So it just helps out a lot. It's a it's a tip. Uh, if you put a whole minnow on a bait like he was talking about, you actually deaden the action and you don't catch as many fish. But is that hu- gotta, is that humane?
0: Like, to, to huh? po- is that humane to pop a head off a minnow? Poor minnow. Is, is it humane to put a hook in a fish's mouth or shoot a rabbit for dinner? <laughs> yeah, it's quick. It's easy.
1: Well, the minnows are usually dead when you do that. Uh, you don't okay. need live minnows. Usually you just buy frozen minnows and do that. Oh, uh, okay. So uh, it doesn't matter. Though. All right. Now I have a question for you. Yes, sir. I think the next two games are immaterial to what happens next year. and And to talk about them with any kind of sense of, being relative is wrong. But what do you think is the most important thing Denver needs to look for in a new head coach?
0: I think they need an alpha. I think they, they need, they've had John always lap dogs and yes, men and nice guys, or, you know, like Vance and Hackett are nice guys. Uh, Fangio was a lap dog. He wasn't as nice. He was, he was grouchy, but he was also a yes, man. They need an alpha to come in here with some experience to run the football processes around here, the organizations, to to stand up to the players to say, hey, Russ, hey, we love your brand and all that. This is how we're doing things, and so we're going to win. We're about winning first and Russ second. You need an alpha that, that has experience running a football organization at a high level. So you think it has to be somebody with head coaching experience or somebody that's
1: proven they're an alpha maybe as a coordinator
0: Uh, you can get a coordinator it's a little different but you have to be good at it right they've tried that for three or four times they haven't been good at it and george payton is not good at it because guess who he hired he hired the wrong coordinator there were two or three coordinators that became first year coaches this year that were actually pretty good he picked the wrong one he doesn't know how to do it all right,
1: my friend. I will let I will wrap this up so you can expound on that.
0: All right, absolutely. Thank you, Terry. Good to talk to you All again. Right. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year, Dan. Hey, we'll wrap up, Terry, Wicks from Outdoors. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour. We'll pass the top of the hour. We'll let the Eagles take us to Dan Jacob in sports and then college football on 104.3 The Fan.